This is the Cascade Hiker Podcast. Find us over at CascadeHikerPodcast.com. I'm a country boy with the soft side. My heart wanders up north to the hillside. Now I've never made anyone quite as beautiful as you. I'm your host, Rudy Gets It. I'm here to inspire you to get out on the trail. You putting in two-mile hikes, five-mile hikes? Are you still on the couch? Come on, let's go on a backpacking trip. I'm going to introduce you to some folks that have done that and a whole lot more. Well, next on the Cascade Hiker Podcast, what's your name and where are you from? Hey, my name's Area Zoner. I live in Ashland, Oregon, Southern Cascadia. Right on. Well, hey, uh, yeah, I tell you, I've had some awesome guests on, and you lately have been my most requested guest. What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be able to tell on this end, man. It's pretty much crickets, but... Um, it's all good, you know. I'm I'm pretty underground. I'm pretty low key. I'm not really somebody who's going to be like trolling your comments and trying to get you to like for like and follow for follow and that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm I'm the kind of person that I want. You know, you you're probably just going to discover. Or you're going to hear about. It's not really going to be in an advertisement, you know. All right. Well, I'm glad you uh, took the time to come on here, man. Because I got a uh, I got some books in front of me. I got some stuff to learn, and uh, I'm really excited to dive into this. Awesome, awesome, yeah, man. I've been appreciating your show. Been a fan for a while. You get, you know, it's it's one thing to be a hiker, but it's another thing to be an artist. And I appreciate that you have a lot of hikers, but you also have a lot of artists on your show too. So this is, yeah, it's a good blend. It's good to meet you, and excited about this too. Uh, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about art, man. What what do you what what's kind of your history? What what do you consider yourself? Are you a author, a videographer? Are you a uh, a rapper? What are you? I mean, to be a true artist, I think you have to be all of those things, you know, and really when it comes to the visualization, it's multimedia. So yeah, there's, there's animation to it. There's, you know, audio to it and there's a vibration to it that's unseen and unheard, but it can be felt. And the same thing happens with the books and the trails, the things that I do. It, it takes more than one role, more than one hat in order to get these productions, these jobs done. And I think normal people would probably hire out. They would have other people who would help in the productions. But, you know, I'm just a solopreneur in this way. The way I create my art is that I take on a lot of roles, a lot of wear a lot of hats and I kind of appreciate that. And sometimes I actually look for things where you have to do that in, in order to really master the craft. And um, I don't know, everything I do is like that's multimedia. But overall, I would just say I'm a freestyle artist. I just make it up as I go. I, I listen to what people say. I read the books. I, I, I adhere to the rules. But at the same time, I don't listen to any of them. You know, I make up my own rules. And, um, and I'm just... Uh, a true creative where it's it's just coming from not a place of of what has already been it's coming from a place of what could be i like that man and hey uh so you've written a few books um and created uh, a couple routes is that correct yes yeah so uh, coming from that angle uh, somebody that has obviously studied maps obviously uh looked for the unseen sort of to say uh what where did this all start? Like, how, how, where were you when you grew up and who got you outside? Um, 
I was definitely inside because yeah, I grew up in in Cincinnati. It was a a smaller town when my parents moved there. By the time they had me, I'm the youngest of five. The city had grown around them. You know, when they moved there, it was a great place to be because it had the jobs, it had the schooling and everything. But then by the time I got there, the industry had moved in, the crime, the poverty had moved in. And, you know, I was kind of stuck in the middle of that, but I didn't realize it because I was just a kid. That was where I was born. I didn't really have a choice. But, you know, I did find myself gravitating towards certain things. And, you know, in retrospect, I can look back and I can see what it was. It's like there was just these places in the city where the water would flow, these creeks and these rivers, the drainages. And that's where I would wind up. And, you know, just like it's a crazy thing because a lot of things wind up in the drainage, right? All the things that roll downhill, all the rolling stones, right? They wind up in the gutter. They wind up in these drainages as well. But it's also a great place to start because that's where the water gets back to the ocean and that's where the seed germinates really. So, you know, I give thanks for, for where I'm from, but in these, in these places, then that was really where I discovered the art because these, these creeks, these, where this water was, there was always graffiti for sure. And I just really, every piece was different. Every one was unique. And, you know, I didn't understand why people were kind of hating against that and buffing it and people were getting arrested for expressing their art and, and I had some of that in me, you know, I, I saw what they were doing and I could read, I could understand those words. I could see the vision that they were trying to express and, you know, and I had some of that energy. So I got into that and, and really there's just a lot of competition with the scene in Cincinnati when it comes to that. And so when you're in these channels, you're in these places, it's one thing to just be in there as a citizen, you know, just walking through. But if you're in there actually trying to paint, then it's like, you're an animal in the jungle. And so for me, just to be able to survive, like I had to escape that. And so that was when I got above those places and I started getting into the buildings. I started getting into the, the, the skyscrape. And that was where, you know, people couldn't reach to get their paint, right? And so like I would do my graffiti up there and it was just this anomaly because people couldn't even reach it to buff it. So my pieces and this is in the late 80s where it was there wasn't surveillance cameras and things like that you didn't have to worry about it much you might get a ticket or just get spanked or get grounded you know it wasn't a big deal <laughs> in those days um and so i would paint up in these places and and it was really this the thrill you know in retrospect i think back as the thrill but and that was where i could kind of see beyond the city i started to see that there was hills around the city and there was you know, I kind of started running out of places to explore and that was right around the time when I got my license. And so then, yeah, I moved away from the city the, about the day I graduated high school and eventually came out west. It was like you're saying, the maps, I was looking at the maps and at that point, all I was looking for was where's the most green. I realized <laughs> at a young age, I was looking at the maps and I was like, everywhere where there's a city, there's the white on the map. And I was like, where's there the most green? And it was the Northwest. And yeah, here I am. I've been out here for more than half of my life. So I do consider myself a Cascadian. Um, you know, a bird is born in a nest, but eventually it makes its own nest. And in, in Ashland, Oregon, this is my nest. This is where I choose to, you know, where my heart has found its home. I like that, man. You're, you were in the city. Now you're amongst the trees. 
Yeah, and you know, we have the good blend out here. It's like we have, I think because we're on the coast and a lot of things come through here, hikers and products from around the world alike, um, it's just the culture is really vibing and, and the resources are, are abundant. You know, it's, it's, there's good food everywhere. There's music and culture and, but yet you can be out in the wilderness really quick where, where I was living, you know, it was at least two, three hours before you found any kind of pocket that would be considered wilderness. And so mostly for me, it's weird because I grew up kind of like what kids do now watching YouTube videos, but I was watching the nature channel, you know, on cable and watching old Clint Eastwood movies and looking at those Arizona landscapes. And I didn't know what it was or where it was, but I was like, I want to be there, you know? And I didn't know what those Indians, I didn't understand why, again, like how they're fighting against the graffiti artists. I didn't understand when I was in grade school, how come they were fighting against the Indians? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, they're living here. They know all this about the land. I just didn't get it. And so I always, in the Clint Eastwood movies, I always kind of resonated like with the Indians. You know what I mean? Yep. And kind of ho- hoping that they would win or whatever, at least. But yeah, it's a crazy, crazy. I have that duality of though, I think, of the city. I understand the cowboy. I also have a really wild spirit. And so I feel like I understand the Indian too. Oh, nice. Well, that's good. So do you remember, uh, you know, when you first got out to the Northwest and like, did you, uh, hit up a couple day hikes? Did you jump right in and start backpacking? Yeah. You know, I've, I've had this kind of themed collection all, all of my life. Right. So again, with the, with these channels is what they're called, um, in Cincinnati's Creek. So you, you, you find one and then you hear about somebody who's like, Oh, did you hear about this one? And so then you find another one and then you look at the maps and you start figuring out where they're at and start collecting them. And so I've always been a collector of, of places. So when I came out West, yeah, one of my first things was just to visit all the national parks. And so, you know, for a couple of years was torn around on that and it was trying to hit the high, the high points, you know, Mount Whitney and, um, Mount Shasta and some of the cascade volcanoes and, and then, um, you know, hiking along the coast and doing all of the parks like Olympic and the Lost Coast Trail and just doing all these classic smaller adventures. And then really between those was filling it in with just a lot of my own little things that I would find around like um, smaller parks like the Pinnacles or maybe um, up in your neck of the woods like around Mount Baker um, go to these places and, and just try to hike a bunch of trails, try to hike, get to a lot of summits and really collecting them in a, in a conscious way, not just randomly visiting, you know, I might be going after waterfalls and, or I might be going after hot springs. And, and so there's, there's an intention to the travel. It's usually themed and I like to go to places that are really concentrated. And the West, the Northwest is that for a lot of natural things, but it's not exclusive to that to hear all the good stuff because there's a lot of, you know, where I grew up, the thing that we were into then and, and really related to these channels was caves, you know, in, in Kentucky and in Indiana. The thing that we would do on the weekends and when we would go camping and backpacking is we would go two, three days through a cave 
and we would literally spend the night in a in a like a big room in a cave and you know you have to leave no trace and everything and sometimes there's water and you're shimmying through these channels and it's it's a different kind of a weekend backpack yeah. but it's it's unique and then you know in Arizona same thing maybe you're slot canyoning or maybe you're going through something that's real dry and it's a whole different different experience you know so yeah well, I appreciate it all yeah absolutely man it's it uh reading in the adventure catalog which uh I don't know if that was your first book but it's kind of your book that's kind of more about your adventures um that doesn't just uh kind of get right on just one trail you're talking about Mm -hmm. all kinds of trails now did you write that um in order yeah i mean those are just the trail journals of my of my adventures that were you know what what you would consider a through hike so i've been i've been hiking and have been doing through hikes but they've been not on such a grand scale or not on such an official scale you know like i might through hike every trail in a certain park like henry co state park around san francisco that's a great one you can go there and hike every trail in the park without hardly repeating any trail they have such an awesome circuit and so you know that was a through hike in my sense but it's not like you get a patch and a completion certificate or that there's a you know some kind of thing on trailjournals.com to register that or anything like that you know what i mean so i I was it was a different kind of a consciousness but then when i hit the pct and i I started um researching for that in 2005 i started researching for the my first pct hike and really there wasn't that much information then when you looked around there was only a couple of books and a couple of trail journals and um so i read those journals and then like i think is the natural thing for people to want to do you know you want to share your experience and give back and so and when i originally wrote those trail journals a lot of people know it was just a lot of keywords it was a lot of slang it was kind of like you know hot spring awesome summit epic yeah do it again (laughs) twice you know and then then i finally came back and i was like you know this was a really unique hike because of this and i want to come back and because of this and i filled in everything over the years and so when i came back and did that process. Then I published it as, um, the adventure catalog, but it's the, it's the story of my hikes. It has a lot of nuggets and, and insights that you can use to hike the trails that are, are described, but also that you can use and apply to just any hike. I think, well, I don't know. What did, what did you gather from that? I mean, I tried to put a lot of wisdom and well i like the fact that you are completely writing it from you and your words you're not worried about writing it for somebody else you know what i mean like it's very very obvious that um especially after talking to you and and flipping through a lot of your youtube uh stuff i mean this is i can i can as i'm reading it uh, i can hear you saying it you know what i mean yeah 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 there's definitely no ghost writing or heavy third-party editing (laughs) But, you know, um, as an author, I don't know. You just have to speak your truth, right? Who else knows how to describe it better? Absolutely. And um, so kind of talk about uh, the Pacific Crest Trail then. So that was like your first big long trail. Is that correct? Yeah, that was the first time where I would say I didn't return to the car, didn't come home after the weekend, you know, because my weekends – 
and the times that I had been living in my car in between jobs and stuff before I wound up to Ashland was was really just basically like being on the PCT. It was just a series of two two to five day backpacking trips. And so the, the PCT was the first time where it was like, okay, I'm going to not drive. You know, I'm going to get a ride to the beginning and I'm not going to end at the same place as I started. And so it was more about shuttling, which I had done some shuttles, you know, with buddies and things like that. But this was a big solo. And, um, you know, just the time um, that because I was doing a four month journey. So I had to figure out my housing and things that I didn't normally have to figure out as much like housing for all of my my things and my car. And so that was probably the biggest, scariest thing about the whole journey. Um, the actual journey itself was amazing. Where were you living uh, when you did the Crest Trail? Were you in Ashland by that time? Or? I was just, I, I was, I had found my home here, but I was still kind of circling around like a bird. You know, I lived in Chico and I moved up to Idaho and then I came back and I've owned some real estate here and there. And so at that time we had just did this huge property flip. It was, we bought the third biggest ranch in California. It's called the triple J ranch. And there was a group of us and, um, I don't really work necessarily people. I, you know, I got, I probably get this question a lot. Like, what do you do to, you know, be able to do what you do? And it's like, well, I've worked hard all my life. And also I've been involved in, you know, stocks and mutual funds and land, investments and things like that that pay off on a scale that you just can't do with labor and so i'm i'm down to change you know exchange my time for money but at the same time i try to do things that can be scaled um so at that time i we had just flipped this ranch and so i had this you know awesome opportunity to and i wasn't really feeling the mutual fund because i don't know just there was it was my instinct and so i actually sold the mutual fund and was like, okay, I'm going to hike the PCT. And, but the craziest part was, was that the whole PCT didn't even cost as much as my mutual fund would have lost that year, because that was the year that the, the Evergreens and the Roth and all these IRAs took a big dive. And so the dive that mine would have took, the trip didn't even cost me that much because I was only living on like 10 bucks a day, 12 bucks a day. I wasn't doing hotels. Like in my first PCT run in 2006, I was pretty typical where I like dehydrated all my food and I didn't want to stay in any towns. Um, but in 2008, when I came back and did the PCT again, man, I just got all my food when I was out there and I stayed in pretty much every town. <laughs> totally different then. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, I do like a blend, but if I can, if I can, if I don't have to, man, I'd rather just show up and just support the town and just kind of like that freestyle, you know, just make it up as I go. And, and sometimes I don't, I don't mind a little experiment or just being forced to do something or, you know, get outside of my comfort zone. It's, it's okay. That's part of the adventure for me, Yeah. regardless of my philosophy, you know, the way I shop, because I'm hardcore philosophy if I shop before the trail and then I'm locked in and then I haven't supported any of the economy. And then these people don't really understand, I think on trail, because if somebody comes in and they got a hundred dollar bill in their hand, and they're like, hey, do you have any organic vegetables? And they're like, no, you know, we've never had anybody ask for any. And it's like, well, you'd have this hundred bucks in your hand right now if you did. And then they remember that. And then the next time their merchandiser comes, they're like, hey, you know, we should get some organic produce in here because people actually will buy it. 
And so if everybody just goes in and just doesn't ask and just buys the Snickers and buys the Pop-Tarts, then that's all they're going to stock, you know? And, and then, but the bad part, and this is what I see is that then that's what people are working and they're working when they look at the classifieds and they're trading their time for money, they're doing it working to make pop tarts and to make Snickers instead of which, you know, teach his own, but that just, you know, I've, I've seen what that kind of work is like and it's not that fun and it, it's not that nice of an environment. And so, and um, vice versa, like places, you know, like where apples come from. I mean, it, it's a, it's not the best looking landscape, you know, a, uh, an orchard that's all segregated and possibly sprayed, but it's still better than a factory with all these chemicals. And, and so I see the deeper end, the farther end of the implications of what I'm buying when I go into the store, re- separate from its nutrition and uh, how it's going to affect me and my performance when I'm hiking. All right, a quick break here to spotlight uh, Lux. Tents. That's uh, luxhikinggear.com, L-U-X-E-hiking-gear.com. Uh, we're going to talk about the, the uh, cheapest tent that you can pick up, I mean in price, not quality, of course. Um, that's the Mini Peak Pyramid two-person backpacking tent. And uh, this is $115. Go to their site and check it out. Uh, like I say, L-U-X-E-hiking-gear.com. There's a link in the show notes, of course. Um, you know, right now it's, I'm on the website, kind of checking it out, and um, this is a three season, uh, you know, two point two pound, two person tent. You know, there's no floor. It's the uh, um, pyramid style that Lux Hiking Gear does. And anyway, you know, if you really want to go cheap, cheap and lightweight, you know, check this out. I mean. This is kind of like I've been saying, uh, just the better way to go because it's a more personal relationship with the brand, um, to local, to me, company, uh, cottage company here, and Jake's a friend of mine, and he's sponsoring the show. So I want you guys to at least go check it out, luxe-hiking-gear.com. Thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of the show. I really like how deep you get with your food. I mean, I'm, uh, before we get too far, we'll talk about the Whole Food Hiker. So um, that's your website, thewholefoodhiker.com. Um, yeah. And um, I, so you're sitting here talking about this, and it just makes so much sense when you're saying, you know, go in and actually talk to them about what you want rather than what they have and what you're going to just buy. And sometimes when you talk, I've had some people on here before, and they might say something kind of like what you're saying. But I like the way you put it. You know, your words uh, just seem to seem to resonate real well with me. Um, uh, Heather Anish Anderson was on the yeah, podcast, yeah. and she she mentioned uh, where you're talking about with the Snickers and the and the Pop Tarts, and she said uh, on her first uh, Appalachian Trail hike, she lost a tooth and lost a bunch of hair and stuff. Man, I mean that's you know that's what you're kind of talking about. She said she she related it uh, or uh, or said it was because of her malnutrition. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I've seen it, man. I mean, this, you know, KV Adventures, he asked in the pre-show questions if uh, if there was something that triggered me into, you know, the whole food, plant-based thing. And, you know, I was already into it before I wound up on trail, but it was when I was on the PCT in 2006, and I saw that happen to so many people. 
And I felt kind of like an alien in a way because like it just wasn't happening to me. You know, I just didn't get it. Like my feet weren't swelling. I wasn't losing weight. I wasn't in need of ibuprofen. I wasn't having a bad time. I wasn't. And I don't necessarily think that, you know, I just had to look back like what could it possibly be because we all have the same gear. We're all hiking the same trail. It's the same weather. We're pretty much all in the same shape, you know, visibly. A lot of hikers look, you know, even if you're not in shape, it does, it, it's not about that. It's just, and that's not even the part of it I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the inflammation. So it's basically like this redness, you know, the redness can come from a sensitivity to sunburn maybe because you got thin skin. It could come from rashes because there's a lot of salt that's being excreted through the sweat. And so that can come like in the chafing. It can also come in uh, really weird stuff on your shoulder straps and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, the swelling of the feet because it's the, the retention and everything that's going on, the body's trying to protect the joints. It's, uh, it turns into this crazy thing where it looks different for some people become bloated. Other people become real red, maybe scabby. It's, uh, yeah, then you got the hair falling out and fingernails and toenails falling off and, um, People who haven't had acne for, you know, since they were a kid start getting acne and all this crazy stuff. And it's not necessarily just the food. I mean, it is, but there is also just the cleanliness, you know what I mean? Like you got to take a bath, you know, you can't wait till you get to town to just rinse off like a four or five day PCT. I was getting wet every day. I was always finding a creek or something to rinse off, get my bandana wet. And I felt like just washing the salts off the natural help make the clothes last longer and then the oils getting that off it just makes you smell better and then it just helps your skin get tougher the cold water and brushing it and um that combination so that's that's separate from the food like whatever we're all eating and so on the outside maybe i don't need the sunscreen and and maybe because of you know, some people say it's the pH or whatever you want to believe, but I've definitely been next to people where they're getting lit up by the mosquitoes and I'm not even getting hit. And I do know, and I've done this since an experiment, people think I'm a whole food hiker Nazi or something, but <laughs> no, I was on the, I was on this golden staircase. It's this real, you know, famous spot on the JMT and this lady's coming uphill. She's just burdened down and she's giving away food. It's a total yard sale. And I don't know how many days she planned on getting to Whitney, but she's just giving something to everybody who goes by. She's like, you have to take something. <laughs> and I'm looking at like the least crazy thing that she had, which was, of course, was the Snickers, right? Because it's got the peanuts. So you think, oh, it's got peanuts. So it's like it's halfway decent for you. But the next day, and it was just a mini one. It wasn't a big one. But the next day, I could smell the difference. I was like, what the heck? Wow. Like, I don't, I don't smell like this. You know, and it took about 36 hours and then it was, it, I was back to normal. That's crazy. When you, when you eat such a, a whole food diet that, that that much of a change, that little of a change can make that much of a difference. I was going to also bring up too, that, uh, something you didn't mention is also like poop, you know, that changes a lot too, right? Uh, not from, not for me. I mean, I'm, I'm. I'm pretty consistent. Well, I mean, I'm talking about like with if you just eat a bunch of crap and people always talk about like, oh, man, it's like almost diarrhea every day or something out there on the trail when you're eating Mountain House and all this other stuff, right? Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of just ex excess going on. You know, it just 
the amount of food that you eat is it isn't exactly the amount of food that you're going to absorb or get the most benefit from you know i think there is a lot of if there if if there is a lot of fast chewing you know quick swallowing you know running after you eaten and stuff like that then yeah you take this huge dump and it's still chunky a lot of it hasn't even been digested it looks gnarly and then you combine that this is going to get real off the hook you combine that with like the whey powder and all these fake protein powders and all those bu- all that gas and bubbling and everything that's going on and yeah it's and then the smell see this is this is the telltale i mean everybody stinks right but it if you smell like compost then you're doing all right but if you smell like sewage then there's something wrong <laughs> it's a fine line but you can definitely tell what side of the line you're on you know and so my normal diet when i do something like eat a little snickers like that it's like yeah i can tell because i don't do that all the time but i don't know if it's as easy to tell in reverse like say all you ate was the pop tarts and that kind of stuff and then maybe you ate one apple you're like i didn't feel any better i didn't hike any more miles today because i ate it doesn't necessarily work like that see this is the thing you have to be flushed it's about your whole body it's not about just eating one thing or you know any specific amount it's just about the body being flushed nutritionally and so you don't have any deficiencies you know it's if you if all you do is is take vitamin C and you neglect the magnesium you're going to get magnesium deficiency if you know if all you do is focus on protein and you know maybe carbohydrates or something like that then you might be lacking on your omega oils and your you know certain key vitamins and minerals so it's important not to look at those macro nutrients but i think more importantly the the micronutrients because the macros are easy to get. They're just more abundant. They last longer in the body. They're usually mobile, which means that they can go from one place in the body to another, like calcium. You know, it'll take it from the bone, move it over here, wherever it needs it. Those are easier, in a sense, to get in. But the micro ones are the ones that, like, when they're gone, they're gone. They're harder to get in. They're harder to find. They're the more, you know, they're harder to find in the environment. Um, what are some really, examples of that, then? I would say what what I would look for I would zoom out a little bit from a specific specific ingredient but I would look I would say it's the pigments it's the oils it's the aroma which is you know the the thing that's producing the aroma in a in a which which you could boil down as to the essence the thing that's captured in in a in an essential oil you know the thing that's left after it's dehydrated um, you know, the thing that, the thing that's left after it's, it's boiled down or it's been juiced, um, that part of the plant, that part of the, the nutrition is the, is the harder part, you know, that water content and that fiber content, that's the easy stuff to get. Um, but when you, but when you do things like heavy processing, and this is why it's important that the, the food be whole and, and as pure as possible is because when you start doing things like heavy processing and irradiating and these treatments that they do, you know, out in the field with the herbicides and that, 
it destroys the pigments and it destroys the thing that is the aroma that creates the aroma. You know, it diminishes the potential of the trace minerals that are in it. You know, the water content will still be there. The fiber will still be there. And, and the reason that I think this is important to understand is because what it is that triggers that plant to produce those oils, those aromas and those things is like a competition. It is like a, a survival thing. It is a defense mechanism in the plant. And so an herbalist, Ron Teagarden, he taught me this. He said, when you look for the ginseng and these herbs like that and the ginkgo and that, you don't look for the prettiest, most uniform looking piece because that one has had the easy life and it's, you know, basically soft. It doesn't have an immunity. It doesn't, it has never needed it. You look for the one that's all gnarly and chewed up and twisted, you know, because that's the one that survived the deer and has survived the cold and has survived the sun and has survived all of these things that have translated into its defense mechanisms, which are the antioxidants and the anti-inflammatories and its pigments and its aroma. Yeah, it's getting deep on the plants there, man. I like that. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I, I really liked your video that you had on your website um, where you talked about the five senses and you kind of got into that stuff. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so just uh, maximizing the nutrition. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a good way to look at it because <clears throat> there is a lot to that, you know. Um, I think that you can, especially hiking, you know, when you're out on the trail, I mean, what's the point of just woofing down a bar and not even realizing two minutes later that you even ate something, you know? I'm all about, you know, carrying it, feeling the weight on my shoulders. And then I get there and then I look at it and it's all bright and, you know, I have to put it together. I got to orchestrate these ingredients. And then I got to, sometimes maybe I make a fire. Sometimes maybe I just chop it up and roll it in a sushi wrap. Whatever I got to do, I'm interacting with it on some kind of level besides just opening the wrapper. And even if it's just spicing it or adding a little bit of oil and shaking it up in my my cup, there's always some something there. And then you you can see it in my videos. I I subconsciously, even when I drink, sometimes even water, um, I always give it a, a little smell. You know, I appreciate that. I there's something about um, something about that, that sets it, gets, gets it ready in the body. Um, and, and it's just another way to, to recognize and realize what's happening in that moment. And then, you know, the fork thing and the spork thing, and everybody's wondering how much a titanium knife weighs and this and that, man, that's like, <laughs> I just eat with my hands, you know, I want to touch the food. I want to feel the food. I want it to be like as if I harvested it from the bush or I picked it up off the ground, you know, or I had to wash it after I found it out in the wild. You know what I mean? Um, it, it, I want to be a little bit wild like that. And so, you know, I've already moved through my visual senses, my phys basically my phys physical sense of, of feeling the food as I carry it. Then I've seen it, you know, then I'm interacting with it. I'm smelling it. All these things have happened before I've even taken a bite, you know, and um, and sometimes I can actually just put the food back into my bag. And I've done this like on trails like the Hey Duke where I really got to make my food last. I'll just do that and then put the food back in my bag and then keep hiking another three, four miles. 
especially if I need to. And the thing that I like about the way that I do food in its, in its bulk way is that you can spread out the meal. You know, you can literally just make these one bite combinations of three or four little things, maybe one cashew, you know, a half a cacao nib, a couple of currants and a half a fig. And then it, that's minimum. That's like hardly any weight at all. Yet it's a lot of flavor. It's a lot of interacting. Uh, and it's a lot of nutrients when you break it down. Yeah, that, that's like you say, it's better than just grabbing a bar. <laughs> yeah. A, and it's a whole other level, too, when you describe it like that. Yeah, well, and, then, and then if you combine that with what I'm saying at the beginning, where are these synthetic nutrients coming from? Where are these wrappers coming from? They're not rappers like you and I like rappers. I mean, these are rappers that yeah. are coming from chemical plants, you know, and they got karmic trails on them. Even if they are just a thin little, you know, half a cent thing that we don't think of and we're just wondering about where to recycle it. It's like, nah, man, there's a chemical plant behind that. And you just don't get that when you have the real produce or the fresh produce, you know, there, there's going to be some chemical level there on the distribution and how do we how do we get this food around the world but at least the chemical isn't for the food isn't like wrapping the food you know yeah so um, yeah i just when i combine the two you know just the workplace what i'm supporting with my food dollars and then and then the nutrition and how it's actually affecting me you know, they come together at the Whole Foods. That's the intersection right there. I mean, it's it doesn't get much more convenient. It doesn't get much more healthy. And depending where you live, it doesn't get much more affordable. I mean, out here in the Northwest, and that's a big reason why I stayed here. It's definitely why I live in Ashland is because there's so many farms around here. We got I-5, so the distributors are here. So we get all of the products that are coming from L.A. to Seattle to anywhere east it's it's the best um, as far as that goes. But I, I would like to see just more bulk on trail, like a more bulk food. I'd like to see maybe like um, speaking of the PCT or maybe like up in Snoqualmie or some of these places just like at the little resupply or at the gas station or in the hotel is just a little bulk thing that just has the peanuts and the raisins and the almonds and the cranberries and just the simple things, the, the, the dried black beans and maybe some spices and and that would be the resupply instead of 5,000 calories of, you know, the Pop-Tarts and the ramen and the, the things that I think people, you know, they get tired of. Um, I don't think they would eat like that at home. I, I've heard that a lot. One of the most common things that I've heard over the years is, I would never eat like this at home. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like you're on the vacation of your lifetime, you know what I mean? It's like so much on the line. Some of these people, you know, you, you plan for years, you spend thousands of dollars it's like, man, I, I took it super seriously when I when I did that for the first time. I mean, most of my vacations before the PCT, and this is a, a, a good difference is uh, to, to, I think to recognize is that all of those trips were just like $100 or maybe maybe two at the most with some gas. You go to Yosemite or something, you know, and get a hotel to set up. You know, it's when you do something like the PCT man or a big journey that takes a month or anything more than that and you're spending over a thousand dollars there's there's a lot of impact that that happens with that and and when I went out there on the PCT in 
2006, when I saw that, when I saw everybody giving $2,000 to Twinkies and Snickers and Pop-Tarts, and I just started adding up the AT and the CDT, and then I started thinking about bike packers and pack rafters and climbers and everybody, and I started thinking, oh, man, Cliff knew this a long time ago, yeah. you know what I mean? And he's like, heck yeah. I mean, I heard he, that Cliff has like 90-something percent of the organic almonds or like for Cliff Bars or something crazy. But all those – it's like a bunch of synthetic nutrients that prop it up. I don't just eat the almonds, you know what I mean? But not the saying that I haven't had a, a Cliff Bar because, you know, like I'm saying, it's you got to do what you got to do when you're out on these trails. And sometimes I don't do resupply boxes and I got to make up for it like everybody else. But – but I definitely let the clerk know, you know, and I definitely will do a food experiment like fast or maybe just do I, – you, I think one of, your, one of your shows you were mentioning that. The guy was talking about fasting a little bit and uh, and I was thinking – because I do that on trail a lot. Um, I, I got – you know, I'll eat on trail and I, maybe I'll go a day or I'll eat in town and then maybe I'll go a day without eating very much and then I'll save that good food for day three, four and then day five, I don't really eat very much. And then I'll come into town and eat. It's more intentional. But it is interesting that when you you know, hear about health practices and yoga and things like that, that intermittent fasting is really good for you. And so this idea of 5,000 calories a day and that you have to gorge yourself every day, and um, I don't think it's helping. You know, I think some intermittent fasting would do you some good. I think cleansing your body like given like you're taking those gnarly dumps i don't experience it i i feel like i do the same i i really strive to eat in, in a regular way um, but i also try to stay active so for me when i do something like a long distance hike it's really not that different than the way i live in a normal way because i do active jobs and i'm always training and uh all kinds of different sports and so hiking for me isn't isn't is just one avenue of my expression um, yeah well i think you were talking about i had uh, uh mike muscle on from high intensity health podcast and, yeah that guy's awesome yeah and, and he was talking about some of that stuff as well and um yeah it, you know it just it really opens my eyes uh, it's funny because um when i when i start to think about some of the people i've had on and it's some of these people that i really look up to uh like like we talked about Heather and Nish Anderson. I listen to the high intensity health podcast all the time, but then here I am making bad decisions and stuff. What about the, the lazy person out there? Um, when you're talking about the five senses of eating and you're saying, you know, you're going to hold on to your food. You're going to, you're going to mix it together. You're going to be smelling it, feeling it, you know, hearing, hearing the sound as you crunch it. Um, what about the, that lazy person out there? Is there a bar? Is there, is there something that they can buy or is it, or is that, is the answer just to, uh, you know, take the time to actually do this? Yeah, that's, it, it really is about your relationship to the food. I would say almost more important is your interpretation of the food. Uh, you, what I like to say is, the healthiest food in the world is not going to be that healthy for you if you hate it. You know, if that whole, your whole experience is a reaction and the drive that you're eating it 
it's not going to have the same effect as if you're super grateful for it, as if this is what you genuinely want. You know, I, I would rather somebody eat what they really want than to eat something that they hate. You know, I think that just the energy of the experience of the feeling that they're going to have during that experience is going to be so worth whatever they're going to be missing, you know, when it comes to, say, a Snickers versus organic peanuts and raisins. You know, you you have to just be grateful first and foremost, whatever you're eating. And and if and we are in this crazy time and I had to come to this point. It was about when I was 32. I had already hiked a lot of trails. I just really started thinking back and. Maybe, you know, I've come from a place where as an activist, I was definitely really rootsy, really vigilante. And then I started getting more grassroots and more frontline, more like a, you know, a guy with a picket sign on the road and at the protest and that kind of stuff. And then starting to get more back now. And as I'm in, getting into my late 30s, into my 40s, as more just the educator role, more just the example role, you know, and um but I realized that it was it was that interpretation, you know, if if you're just grateful, I, you know, my dad, all he eats is M&Ms and bologna sandwiches and potato chips. But oh, you man. know what? But you know what? He loves it. And he doesn't and he doesn't gorge himself. You know, this these are the tricks like he he rations himself. So he has this little Dixie cup and in the morning and he loves it. Right. He wakes up and he's like, yeah, get my Dixie cup. Go over to the M&M's, dip, then he takes one, ooh, and then that's it, boom, puts it down. That's his ration for the day. And my mom will get on him if he gets over it. He's not trying to be sneaking the M&M's. <laughs> and so, you know, and then he'll go about his day, you know, and he does his thing and he's playing golf or whatever. And and he's just happy about it. He's not reading these books and trying to do this and that with these diets and experimenting and doing all these programs. And he's just like, I know what I like, you know? And um I and he's 83. <laughs> and you know, they still they're so active, it's crazy. It's uh nice. it, I think there's it's the philosophy, you know, it's your it's your mind state, it's your interpretation. And so if he was hating everything and the Brussels, Brussels sprouts and everything, like he'd have been a bitter old man in the sixties, you know, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have turned out well for him. <laughs> the stress chemicals, the hormones, they come from the interpretation. You know what I'm saying? Like, regardless of what you're eating, those things are going to get stimulated by the interpretation. And so that's why that's super important. And I kind of boiled that down to my own little whole food hiker saying, which is like, you can you can pranify, which means to put the prana, put the life force back into food. You can pranify toxic food by being grateful for it, you know, just by being compassionate and thankful for the people who did risk their life doing this cancerous job to get this product on the shelf. You know, it's crazy what people go through to create some of these things. And so be grateful for that, you know. And you, at the same time, you can also toxify chronic food. Like I'm saying, if you don't, if you just hate it, it's, uh, it, it's, not, it's just defeats the purpose, you know? All right, a quick little break here to uh, show some support with these sponsors. This is Waymark Gear Co., Waymark Gear Company, waymarkgearco.com. I want you to go over there and check out all the little ways that you can edit your pack, you know, basically 
um, you know, spark it with some colors here and there. And I'm telling you, I don't know the exact number, but there's got to be at least 20 or, or more ways that you can change a color on this pack. And it's so cool. And, and you can also change the, the um, pockets around. You can make one long pocket on the side for like your longer items. Um, you could add straps if you wanted to, uh, though, of course, that adds weight or whatever. Uh, it really, you can just build your own pack based on these um, on on what he's got set up. Or That's Mark Benson over there at Waymark Gear Company. And uh, I'm on the website right now just kind of messing around. I think you guys should go check that out. I wanted to kind of throw out some some of the prices. I mean, he's got 38 to 40 liter, 42 liter packs on there for 195 is where they start. And uh, you know, fifty liter pack starts at two twenty five. Please go over there and at least just check it out. And uh, hey, tell them the Cascade Hiker Podcast sent you. Thanks. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that that look at hiking and they look at all these routes and, and these trails, and and it can get crazy, man. I mean, I'm looking at your list in uh, in the Adventure Catalog, and I'm just like, wow, man, you're talking about. Uh, the Pacific Crest Trail, the Hayduke Trail, the Colorado Trail, the Arizona Trail, Nevada Trail, the John Muir Trail, the Siskiyou Peaks Trail, the High Sierra Hot Springs Trail. I mean, and there's a couple more, the Idaho Centennial Trail, the Hot Springs Trail. And and what would you say to people that are thinking about doing one of these, the Pacific Northwest Trail, the um, you know Continental Divide Trail? Um, I'm adding those ones on there just to, for reference. Uh, what would you say to people that are going to be doing these and they might think like they might have the perception that they might be able to find a lot of food out there? Have you done a lot of, uh, you know, foraging? Yeah, but you can't expect that. You can't plan on that. That's always just a bonus. Um, there, there are certain times, you know, on the Idaho Centennial Trail in the fall time, you can pretty much guarantee that you're going to get some blueberries and you're going to get some puffball mushrooms and a couple of different things, you know, certain other places, um, like on the Hey Duke, I wouldn't be counting on anything, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe some fishing in the Sierra if you're into that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. I just, I just don't count on it. Greens, you know, like miners lettuce, you can count on that on, uh, on the hot springs trail down by Santa Barbara and on the Pacific crest trail in Southern, Southern California, Certain certain things like uh, dandelion greens, you can also depend on those. A lot of places I try to eat them when they're young, get the little leaves. Um, I heard I've never done the AT, but I heard on the AT everybody's into the ramp, the ramps, the wild onions, and uh, I don't know. That sounds fun. But I know when I was on the Colorado Trail, there's this little flower. I don't know what it's, it's actually called, but it's a elephant head, and it's all this purple elephant heads looks just like it with the big ears and the trunk and they taste like onions and you eat them pod she turned me on to those flowers uh yeah they're great but no you got to do your research and just understand what it is that you want if you're super picky you, you would benefit from doing the resupply boxes if you have a certain dietary restriction um then resupply boxes can be really handy. But if, if you're down to be flexible and if you can go with the flow and if you can appreciate a food experiment, which doesn't always mean eating food. Sometimes it means lack thereof, a uh, food experiment and see how far you can go. You know, it's like, what is this 5,000 calorie thing? It's, um, it's just elusive. It's a number. Everybody's different and every trail every day is different. It's good to have a standard. I'm not saying that. I just have a different standard. My standard is to stay flush with my 
omega oils and my antioxidants and to be eating a lot of foods that have that are in considered uh, anti-inflammatory foods. I try to stay away from foods that are considered uh, inflammatory foods, which is crazy because it's it's the sugar and it's all the stuff that's in the soda pop. And it's it's almost like it, it, it tripped me out big time in 2006 when I saw these uh, – magic caches with the cool with the soda and everything i was like what are these people doing are they trying to like make these hikers not make it <laughs> i didn't i didn't get it like i seriously didn't get it i was like these this doesn't help yeah. um yeah i just i don't know but i'm not trying to judge i mean I, I understand you know carbonation i think it's cool uh amazing grass they came out with this cool little carbonated product it's uh this little disc that it, it dissolves in the water, so it's a it's a it's a press tab. I think everybody's going to start coming out with them, and the carbonated part of it uh, it can be dried, and so they put all kinds of different greens and herbs and mushrooms and different powders, and then you put this little press tab into your water, and it it uh, dissolves and it turns into a soda pop. It has the bubbles and everything. It feels just like drinking a soda pop, and so I'd I'd way rather see stuff like that. Like that's gonna help people actually get to the next town. But, you know, in 2006, there really wasn't that many angels or water caches. And I think nowadays, these guys got it easy, man. They're just getting pampered all the way through. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard the stories for sure. Uh, I kind of mm -hmm. want to talk a little bit. Um, you A while back when we first started talking about doing this uh, podcast together, um, you, uh, you sent me your, uh, let's see, a media, uh, what was it? Your, uh, um, just my media sheet. Yeah, your media sheet. You're the first person to do that, man. I was like, right on. <laughs> All right, your, your zoner's prepared, right. man. Uh, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's just an expression, right? It's uh, as part of the art, as part of the the author. But I appreciate it. You know, I would just want to be clear and, um, yeah, it was fun to make too. I think but so. That, yeah, it's it's, cool. it's almost so like. Should I send that to some other podcasts? <laughs> no, no, I think so, man. I I think uh, I didn't need it because, like I said, man, you'd been requested by so many people. But one, I got some things off of it that uh, that I thought were cool. Uh, in because I have released episodes with, um, you know, Whitney Larufa, all good, yeah, and um, and Disco from the Trail Show, and I thought, man, how cool that uh, right on there that your praise had both, <laughs> both of those guys i was like man uh you know whitney larufa says this was one of my most entertaining presentations we've ever had because he's the president of all the west yeah that was the hot springs trail presentation in 2016 right pod on. pod had some crazy stuff to say about that too because you know i, I think a lot of people were expecting that i was going to come in there and be like uh, this is how many miles the trail is, and this is where the trail goes, and everything about the trail. And I came in there, and I was like, here's everything I just had to go through in order to get this trail to you guys. Okay, here it is now. Like, um, Let's see what you can do with it. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Because it, was, it, was, it has been such a mission to get that thing just to be where it is that you can go hike it. Uh, that whatever it is that the hike is actually going to be like is we don't even need to talk about that. You know what I mean? Like, let's leave that up to you guys to get out there and hike and to do your journals and to have your videos and everything. And I just rather share, you know, this, like you're saying, it's the realness, the story, how, um, you know, the, the trials and tribulations, the things that we've learned along the way, because 
And and so I I think that they weren't really expecting that. And so when I came in and I just dropped like just this crazy story about how the trail came to be. And yeah, Whitney was like, what the heck? He said I was going to bomb at first. The first part of that quote was he was, he was like, I thought you were totally going to bomb. And then he's like, and then you turned it around. And it was like, then it was like the most present entertaining presentation that we've had. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. Well, and uh, Disco said, uh, by the way, uh, the trail shows episode number 37 uh, about the Hot Springs Trail was their most downloaded episode in history uh, of the trail show. So, I mean, that's, those are, those are just kind of cool. Cause I had those two folks on there and, uh, and, and here they were on your, uh, on your <laughs> sheet. So man, that was, that was pretty cool. So, um, some magic trail magic, you know, that's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's kind of fun when you kind of get involved, uh, in, in kind of this world and you get to know all these folks. And I mean, I feel like I know you, even though we haven't really met, um, we, I want to get you back on, uh, for, you know, to talk about the Siskiyou Peaks Trail and talk about the Hot Springs Trail, because I know that those are both really, uh, you know, at, at heart. I mean, you wrote wrote a book about each one. So um, was there anything we, that we missed to kind of talk about? Do you want to say something in closing for this episode? Uh, yeah, maybe just the lead in, you know, it's uh, the Hot Springs Trail and the Siskiyou Peaks Trail. They're, they're not my only adventures, man. I've got a lot of adventures under my belt. A lot of them are just shorter. A lot of them aren't, aren't as packed. Uh, maybe not quite as, as much of a saga. Uh, they can just be done in a week or in a weekend, but those ones really stood out. You know, they were just something, it was beyond me. It was, there was so much magic that was happening with these third parties, with these other things that were actually on the ground. Like the story of when I go through Nevada and I run into the geo geographical center in nevada the sign i had no idea it was even there i'm just going down this crazy random place in the middle of nevada and i literally was in the middle of nevada and i'm like (laughs) what the heck is this you know how how can you how can you like i just can't deny that kind of stuff or 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 something that pct hikers really uh should look into is that the the town of lake isabella if you're familiar um when you're about to go into the high sierra you everybody resupplies in lake isabella is actually called hot springs valley the hot springs trail goes right through there um it goes through lake isabella the town and and little stuff like that like i had no idea you know i'd already resupplied in lake isabella twice and actually i already had the book published i didn't even realize that lake isabella was um hot springs valley until just this past winter isn't that crazy yeah and so the stuff just keeps stacking it keeps growing and building and there's just a whole lot of magic, 10-year saga. We can get into that. But yeah. no, nah, just just for now, just understand that, you know, when I think, you know, just don't have the wrong idea about Whole Food Hiker. It's not it's not raw vegan Nazi. You know, we're not 100% anything of this and that. If anything, I would say 80% of your food should be like your life depends on it because it does, okay? And 10% of your food, go ahead and celebrate, you know, experiment, do whatever you want with and then the other 10%, use that in your judgment. You know, maybe you don't ever tap into it and you just eat um, in moderation. Or maybe you just, you know, go for the the taco bar, or go for the wedding cake, or go for, you know, the magic cooler full of Mountain Dew. <laughs> you know, use that 10%, but don't confuse that for the 80%. Don't be out there hiking and 80% of your day is Mountain Dew and wedding cake. You see what I mean? Yeah. 80% of your intake. 
don't let that be the case, man. It's uh, honor the soda pop. Thank you, Trail Angel. But that's not dinner. Okay, guys. But appreciate appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, stay healthy out there. And we're going to keep doing our thing. There's a, a young lady, Natalie Allen. She wants to know what's kind of the next step for me and this whole food, hiker, nutrition world. And hopefully it's going to be educating on podcasts like this because I think it's a great platform. As you can tell in my videos, I'm, I'm an anti-YouTube video uh, um, interview kind of person. I like to do educational, more like vi- infomercial kind of things that you would see on Nature Channel than just a video of me talking. So I appreciate these podcasts and you giving me a chance to just be able to talk freely, openly. I um, hope you guys gain some insights and uh, yeah, hit me up, Whole Food Hiker. Right on. Well, on that note, uh, are there any other podcasts that uh, you know you listen to maybe down this line? of hold food hiker or maybe just like in general nah you know it's crazy um trucker bob he was asking me about this he he wanted to know about when i'm going about uh, nst design and you know am i all into the nst and asking everybody who you know has made an nst and and when it comes to nutrition and it comes to pretty much everything i do i go i go the applied technology route so I actually don't even listen to really you're you're about the only hiker you and trail show are about the only hiker podcast I listen to what I listen to is a lot of of like business like London real a lot of success kind of stuff like entrepreneur um, I really like the high intensity health you know that guy I think he he's really um, more keyword more from the book in the sense of where he knows his real definitions in a, in a a very logical analytical way where I'm more metaphorical. I'm more like correlating things and, and I'm really zoomed out in background and I'm a homogeny of things. I've studied herbalism. I've studied Western, um, nutrition, sports, sports science. I've studied how, you know, how to heal nutritionally, uh, all these different things that coming from, you know, like a, all these different spokes in the wheel of, of holistic nutrition. And then I have my viewpoint in the middle um, which is, is a lot of takes. And so I understand these different takes and I, I try to keep my center pure. So I necessarily don't listen to the closest things that are in my network because I just want to keep my own voice unique. I don't want to be saying the same thing they're saying or having them influence me and I'm looking like them. And it, it, it's just the way I choose to do my business. You know what I mean? And, um, and so for me personally, the, how I do it is um, I'm more of a forward thinker. So I'm learning from all of these other areas of life. Like I'll learn something from, from bike packing or from rock climbing or from, um, you know, water sports. And I'll apply that to my hiking. And same thing about the sports and, and things that are happening in the world. I take that and then I apply it to my personal viewpoint about nutrition. And so... I'm not studying nutrition in that sense, and I'm not studying hiking, but I'm, what I'm actually doing is I'm just studying health and wellness, and I'm studying human potential and human-powered endeavors as a whole, um, if, that, if that helps. Yeah, that's a great way. I appreciate it, and thanks for coming on, man. Okay, man. Thank you, sir. All right, that's the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. 
Don't forget to join the Patreon page. Find me at patreon.com slash Cascade Hiker Podcast. Also, hit me up uh, with an email, Rudy at CascadeHikerPodcast.com. Find me on Facebook. My Facebook page is Cascade Hiker Podcast. Twitter, find me at N underscore Cascade Hiking. And I'm Cascade Hiker Podcast on Instagram. Thanks, Whiskey Fever, for letting me use this track here, Tall Grass, off their album, Gonna Wake Up This Whole Town. Go find them at ReverbNation.com slash Whiskey Fever. Hey, see you next week. You were sweet like honey on a heartbeat. You were fine like wine and sunshine. I could feel you coming on strong. Could never be wrong. Could never be wrong. See her laying down in the tall grass. Playing mandolin in a white dress. I come running when I hear that song. It could never be wrong. It could never be wrong. Where you want to run, baby, I'll run too. I would leave this world for a beautiful girl if I could just find